0: You're listening to the New City Church Sermon Podcast. We exist to love God, to love our neighbors, and to make known the good news of Jesus Christ. To this end, we seek to cultivate a spirit-filled, gospel-centered community that multiplies disciples of Jesus in churches for the glory of God, the joy of all people, and the good of the city. If you'd like to learn more about New City, including service times, discipleship pathways, and opportunities to serve and fellowship with us, please visit us online at newcitykc.org. Here at New City Church. Uh, This is our second week in our series of coffee mug verses, coffee cup verses. So if you weren't here last week, uh, we decided basically to go through some passages that we're all really familiar with and try to really understand what we're saying when we quote these verses or when we hear them quoted. Um, And so just really quick before we dive into this text in Philippians 4, uh, just a couple of housekeeping things around this sermon series, right? So uh, the point of this sermon series is not for us to grow in our own pride and arrogance to think that somehow we have the Bible completely figured out and that we're just smarter than everybody else and poor people over there, little dum-dums, like they can't read the Bible as well as I can. That's not the point of this. So we're not to grow in pride and arrogance. Uh, We don't have everything figured out. This series is not to make us self-righteous in which we make fun of those silly people who aren't near as smart as we are. So that's the first goal for this series. Number two, we need to understand these passages rightly so that we may better help and love and serve the people around us. That as we understand these verses, like Romans 8, 28 last week and Philippians 4, 13 this week, when we understand them rightly, it empowers us to serve better and to love our neighbors better. And then third, Uh, We should have discernment to know how these passages should be used to build up and encourage and that God never intended for his word to be weaponized and used against others to win Facebook arguments or to put people down. That's not the point of God's word. That's not how we use it. We use it to build up. So this morning we come to, in my estimation, Philippians 4, 13, it's got to be the second most quoted passage in the Bible, behind only one. Can anybody tell me what... John 3.16, I think, is probably like if you, you know, you're watching like a football game, somebody's kicking a field goal, if somebody's holding a sign that says John 3.16 back behind the field goal. It makes no sense. But Philippians 4.13 is probably the second most quoted verse I've ever seen. It's everywhere. I can do all things through strength through Christ. Uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I told Ryan that I was just gonna show a montage of like Tim Tebow highlights. And like we could all just get jacked up and ready to go serve Jesus, right? Uh, but no, man, this this passage, it's all around us. And so even for me as a child, uh, when I was a little guy, um, <laughs> we were visiting my uncle. My, uh, my uncle lives down in southern Missouri, and he they live on like a farm. And so <laughs> for some reason, I, I was like probably a kindergartner, maybe a little bit younger, and I decided that I was going to get up on the hood of my parents' car, and I was going to fly. Okay? So... The first thing that I did was I had watched Peter Pan and so I sprinkled some like magic fairy dust. And then even as a little kid, the words of Philippians 4.13 were on my lips. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I ran, you know, little feet pattering on my car. And I ran and I jumped and I came down face forward onto a gravel driveway. And so the story gets worse from here. Uh, This tooth right here, I split it in half. And so the problem was there weren't any doctors, like the, the nearest hospital was not close, but do you know what they do have in rural places in America? Veterinarians. So I went to a vet who was close, who my uncle knew. They strapped me down to a board and removed the tooth with a pair of pliers. And it did not grow back for three years. I had a huge gap in my mouth for years. Like that song, All I Want for Christmas is My Two Front Teeth, it really hit different for little Matt Rogers. Like I really I was dying to have this too. But like this verse, this Philippians 4.13, it, like, it fills us with like this idea that I can do anything. I can do all things, even in my little kid brain. If you get on YouTube right now and you put in Philippians 4.13, every other video will either be a professional athlete like Timmy T., Right, showing you all these amazing things you can do, or workout motivational video, like one more rep for Jesus, (laughs) okay? Or someone talking about how this is the most misquoted verse in the Bible. Like it's all over the place. Every other video is either workout, sports, or you're using this verse the wrong way. You will see this verse everywhere. It is tattooed on everyone from Selena Gomez to half of the people you went to high school with. It's quoted continuously by athletes and politicians. And you are likely to see it as you drive down the highway on a billboard. But so often, this verse is quoted and used in ways that just don't align with Paul's original meaning in Philippians 4. And the reason for that is that it's misquoted and misunderstood is just a complete lack of understanding of context in which Paul is writing. So we if you are a seasoned believer in Jesus and you've been studying your Bible for a while, you know that context is a vitally important part of understanding the Bible, we, we read things in context. So what is context? Context is the material that surrounds who is talking that helps us better understand what is being said. Who's the person talking? Who are they talking to? Where are these people talking? You get it. These, all of these things surround the passage that help us give, us give us a better understanding. And I think for most of us, the context, at least to me, it's always been presented as you have to understand context so you don't get this verse wrong. Got to know the context so you don't get it wrong. But context serves both sides, the negative and the positive. That context also enriches the passage. It makes it better. It doesn't just keep us from getting it wrong. It helps us understand better and makes it more beautiful. So for instance, uh, maybe you know something about the Civil Rights Movement in the 1960s. right? So. You have these civil rights heroes, MLK, who who leads these marches in Birmingham, Alabama, right, for voting rights for for black people around the country. But did you know that, like, there was was a singular moment where civil rights scholars say there was, like, this huge shift in American sympathy for the civil rights movement? And it was on a night in, in 1965 on ABC, they were showing a movie called Judgment at Nuremberg. So if you know anything about history at all, Nuremberg is where they did the trials for Nazi war criminals, right? So, while people are sitting down in 1965 to watch the judgment at Nuremberg, suddenly ABC flashes to live coverage of Birmingham, Alabama, where most people in America had just, you know, oh yeah, civil rights stuff, that's in the South, that doesn't affect us at all. They're watching a movie about atrocities done to the Jewish people, and suddenly they're watching those atrocities done to people who live in their country. Right? This, this shapes our understanding. When we, when we understand context, it adds beauty and depth to what we're looking at. Or for something much more silly, if you think about uh, Game 5 of the 1997 NBA Finals. Uh, if you're an NBA fan, which might just be Ryan, uh, <laughs> I grew up in Kansas City. We had an NBA team, I think, before I was born. But Game 5 of the NBA Finals of 1997, it's Bulls and Jazz, Right? Michael Jordan, this is the flu game. Michael Jordan scored 38 points. The Bulls win by two, and he had the flu, right? Like, so we, uh, we watch the game, and that's amazing, and then you find out, oh, my gosh, Michael Jordan had the flu the whole time. It adds beauty and depth to our understanding of things, right? So when we understand context, we're not just trying to understand how to not get it wrong. We're also trying to get more beauty. We're squeezing the life out of these passages. We're trying to get as much as we possibly can, Context not only keeps us from making mistakes, but also adds beautiful depth to the passage that will help us more fully understand who Jesus is and who we are in light of that truth. So that gets us to Philippians chapter 4. Okay, turn with me if you will, if you have your Bible, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 10 through 13. So let's read this together, Philippians 4, 10 through 13. It said, I rejoice in the Lord greatly So as we dive into this text, we're going to break this up into three parts. The first part, the provision of God through others. Uh, And this is from verse 10. So again, if context is so important, let's iron out some details of what's going on here in our text. Uh, Paul is writing from a prison, uh, probably in Rome, to a church in Philippi. And Philippi is basically the Florida of the ancient world. It's where Roman officials and soldiers went to retire and live out their days in peace in Philippi, right? Just like Florida, (laughs) And it's a, it's a region uh, that is steeped in patriotism and love for Rome, right? You have all these retired soldiers and politicians. They've served their life for Rome, and now they're retiring to Philippi, and they love Rome, right? So you can imagine, how con- if you've read any of the letters from Paul, how controversial some of the things that Paul said would have been in Philippi. Look just briefly right above chapter 4 in Philippians chapter 3. Verses 20 through 21. It says, but our citizenship, uh-oh, is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Just hear that language, citizenship, subject all things to himself. So Paul is riding to a place that's steeped in this Roman patriotism proclaiming a new king, and telling the people of Philippi that you are no longer serving to advance the kingdom of Rome, but instead to advance the kingdom of Christ. So Paul writes this letter to encourage them, uh, and we get to chapter 4, and Paul is finishing his letter thanking the Philippians for their partnership in the gospel. Look at verse 10 again. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for, you, for me." You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Originally, when I was reading that, I was like, man, that's the most like backhanded compliment Paul could possibly ever give. Like, finally, finally, fellas, you guys remembered me. I'm in prison. I'm hungry. Fine. Thanks, guys. Thanks." And that's not what Paul is doing, right? Uh, but he clears this up. He clears it up by saying, you were concerned for me. But you had no opportunity. And don't don't you just love this humility here from Paul? How quickly he makes sure that there is no miscommunication in what he is saying. Wouldn't our relationships with those around us benefit from this type of humility? That we were careful in what we said to one another and quick to resolve even the possibility of miscommunication that could lead to pain. Like Paul quickly, he writes this down, he's like, Hey, you've, you've revived your concern for me. And if he would have left it at that, we'd be reading that like, oh, dang. <laughs> Paul putting the Philippians on blast, right? That he's going after them. He's gonna, trying to make them feel bad. No, he's like, no, 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 you were concerned for me, but you just didn't have an opportunity to give. Also, notice how the Philippians were looking for an opportunity to help Paul. i look down in the rest of uh, some more context here. Look at Philippians chapter 4, 14 through 16 says yet it was kind of you to share my trouble and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once and again right these Philippian believers are looking for an opportunity to help Paul and there's some good application here for us right Because of we actively as a church community looking for opportunities to help those around us. Um, As many of you know, uh, in 2014, my my dad passed away from terminal cancer. And during that time, if you've walked through something like that, you know how awful that in-between moment where someone is is not dead, but they're going to be. (laughs) Like, that you don't, it's just you're in limbo the whole time. And I'll never forget Uh, I might might have told this story to some of you before, but one of my mom's best friends, her name's Miss Lorna, love you Miss Lorna, great lady. Um, She came over and during that time she did my mom's laundry, right? She like came over and did something really practical to help my mom while we were walking through this great grief. And guys, when you think about like even in our own lives, when people are struggling or when they're suffering, most of the things that we say is like, hey, let me know, let me know if you need anything, right? Which is a great statement to make. Like we're trying our best to help people, but what if we were like proactively trying to bear each other's burdens? Not just waiting for people to come to us with their burdens, but we were proactively looking for ways to bless people. Now, this differs in degrees of closeness, right? Miss Lorna is one of my, my mom's best friends. It makes sense for her to come over and do her laundry. You can't do that for everybody. That'd be stinking weird, right? You can't, like, can't do that for just some random guy you've met. But guys, how hard is it to send a DoorDash gift card to someone you don't know that well? Right? How hard is it to pick up Chipotle for a family that is having a rough go of it? Are we as a church community proactively looking for ways to bear each other's burdens like the Philippians were doing here with Paul? Galatians 6.2 says, Bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What if we learned to not just wait for others to come with us, come to us with their burdens, but we were actively seeking ways to bless others. Would this make us a more united church community? Would this be a blessing to our neighbors and our city? So this upcoming week, in what ways can you proactively look for opportunities to bear someone's burdens? It might be as simple as just praying for a coworker. I have found, that's a side note here, but I have found that very few people turn down prayer. I have found a lot of people... turn down invites to church, but I have found very few people who will turn down prayer. People I randomly meet that I'll pray for. Like, most people will receive a prayer. Pray for somebody. Or like I said earlier, maybe you could pick up some Chipotle for someone who's having a tough go of it. Well, I don't know if they have dinner plans. Guys, who's going to turn down Chipotle over what you're going to cook at your house? Give me a break. You know you're going to take the Chipotle? (laughs) So ask God Ask God for an opportunity this week to bless someone, and that is a prayer I guarantee that God will answer. Amen? God will answer that prayer. God, help me to be a blessing. Help me to proactively bear the burdens of the people around me, just like the Philippians did here with Paul. And isn't this crazy that in the act of blessing someone, you in turn get blessed. Look at what Paul says in 417. It says, "Uh, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Right, guys, we don't, we don't serve other people like to get something in return, right? This isn't an investment, but man, the fruits of the spirit that grow in us, our love for other people, when you serve other people, it's probably not gonna come back to you in some kind of monetary way. If, oh, you, It's like the health and wealth prosperity gospel, right? If I give $100, God's gonna give me $200 back. That is not what Paul is saying here. What he is saying is as you give, you grow in love for Jesus and you grow in love for the people around you. Which, what did Jesus say? How do we fulfill the whole law? We we love God and we love others. That's how you fulfill everything that God has called you to do. So proactively look for ways to, to help people around you this week, right? Think of ways. Ask God to reveal ways that you could be a burden bearer for the people in your community this week. So, number two, the secret of contentment. Remember, guys, we're, we're building up to this coffee cup verse, right? Philippians 4.13, that always gets taken out of context. It always gets ripped out of this book and plastered on coffee mugs and t-shirts and, you know, motivational videos on New Year's Day for you to get out and start working out, okay? We're, we're building up so that we have a foundation to build on when we get to 13 of what Paul has said to us. So, he's... In 11 through 12, he's going to talk about the secret of commitment, uh, contentment, contentment. Look at 11 and 12 again. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, right? And isn't this... (laughs) The idea of contentment, especially in our culture in the West, is a, is a lost idea, right? Uh, Victoria follows this family on Instagram called The Bucket List Family. you ever heard of that family before? Some guy, this guy created like a QR code that got sold to Snapchat for like millions of dollars, and now he just like, him and his wife and their three kids literally just travel the world and post about it on Instagram. Family makes me sick. Like, it's just like like the coolest life in the world. Like, I, they just like, they go wherever they want. They have endless resources to travel the world. Their kids are so cultured and they're always posting all this amazing food. I have to like seriously like withdraw. I see it and I'm like, man, all oh, those people. Like, <laughs> why couldn't I create a QR code? But maybe the idea of traveling around the world doesn't thrill you. Maybe you spend your day scrolling through home magazines wishing you're home Uh, was different, or you had cooler furniture, or you spend countless hours looking at boats or uh, mountain bike parts. We are constantly surrounded by companies and people that want to make us feel discontent, that what you have is not as nice as someone else and that you need more. What is even crazier is now we have become convinced that we deserve more. A more comfortable life is owed to me. And we would never say this out loud, but is it possible that that discontentment we sometimes direct at God? We can take this discontentment that we feel with our lives and direct it at God. God, why hasn't my life turned out better? Why does everyone else have the things that I want? Why don't I get to travel the world? Why is my life not better, God? And I wonder. If on some level, this is part of the reason that Philippians 4.13 is used so often among believers. Like most of you, I would never quote this verse before going to a workout or like skiing down a mountain that I have no business being on or jumping off a car and shattering my teeth. But uh, I think we, we wouldn't use it in this way. But I think most of us would understand the foolishness of quoting the verse in that way, especially after understanding some of the context of what Paul's going through, right? But is it possible that this verse has been misunderstood by us in a more subtle way? Remember the first words of 13, verse 13, I can do all things. Could it be that we truly believe that our relationship with God is built on something we do for God? Sure, 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 sure. Christ strengthens me. Uh, He gives me the strength that I need. But if I read my Bible and I pray and I go to church and I help out at Hot Dog Saturdays, Saturdays, I go to Citigroup, I love my neighbors, then I am meeting God halfway. I am doing my part. I can do it. Again, I'm thankful that God gives me strength, but I do my part to make this relationship work. And doesn't it make sense that this type of thinking could lead to rampant discontentment, right? We feel like we're owed by God. God, are you serious? I did all this stuff. I sold my life out to you. My dad still died. God, I I gave everything to you, and we still had a miscarriage. God, I did everything right. I checked all the boxes, and I still lost my job. This this discontentment can be directed at God, and instead of embracing our position as the beloved of God, we find ourselves continually striving to earn favor with Him. If we do enough, nothing bad will come our way. Man, but what if the scriptures teach, and this text in Philippians chapter 4 today shows us that bad things are going to come because of the fallen world you live in? Where is Paul writing this passage from? He's in prison, right? Things aren't going great for Paul. (laughs) Uh, But it it shows us that bad things are going to come because of the fallen world we live in. But God is not going to abandon you. You are more loved than you could possibly imagine. And God is not walking out on you when things get tough. The secret of Paul's contentment is not that he had done enough good to outweigh the bad Or that if he just would have spent a little bit more time reading the Torah, maybe he wouldn't be in this mess. No, Paul's contentment is rooted in that he truly believed that Jesus Christ was in the prison cell with him. Paul truly believed that Jesus was in the midst of his trial with him. That Paul was not abandoned by God. And this is what separates Christianity from every other world religion. While the gods of the world, lower G here, while the gods of this world remain distant from humanity, our God makes himself known to us through the suffering servant, Jesus. Jesus can sympathize with us in our weakness and suffering because he himself has experienced that weakness and suffering. So whatever situation you find yourself in today, if you are a follower of Jesus, he is with you as well. You are not forgotten. You are not abandoned. And that is the foundation of our contentment. Our ability to be able to, to say yes to what Paul is writing in 11 and 12. In every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being content. Our contentment is rooted in knowing that no matter what happens, if times are good or if times are bad, Jesus is not walking out on me. Isn't that good news? <laughs> you are not abandoned, you are not forgotten. And man, this is how Paul closes. Uh, we read some from Romans chapter 8 last week, right? That what can separate us from the love of God? Is there anything that can separate us from the love of God? No. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Right? That this is this is the root, the, the depth, the, the foundation of our contentment. That Jesus does not abandon us. So, there you go. There's some context leading up to... Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. This is what's going on in Paul's life. The dude is struggling through it, just like some of us this morning are struggling through it. He's going through some hard stuff, right? In prison. Uh, and guys, are the Philippians probably walking through some really hard things too? Yes. Being thrown in prison, being beaten for their faith. And so Paul is writing this, it, and then he gets to Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, uh, number three, the strength of... Of God, I originally titled this "The Big Kahuna," but I changed it last minute. Uh, but I think that, like, it's just one of those verses that seems to stand on its own. Uh, it's our, it's the coffee mug verse par excellence. It's like the, it is the the most quoted verse that you're gonna find, maybe other than John three sixteen. And so, uh, yeah, let's read it. Let's read it one more time, even though you know it. It's good for you to hear it again. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's interesting, uh, if you have an NIV translation, uh, it's translated, I can do all this through him who strengthens me. I don't think that verse gets quoted as much if they change things to this, right? I can do all this. So what, what is Paul talking about here? What Paul is not saying here is that he can do absolutely anything with no limits, Remember again where Paul is riding from. He's in prison. Homie doesn't want to stay there. He wants to get out. He doesn't want to stay in prison forever. Like if he could do anything, I could do all things. I'm going to walk out of this prison. And guys, had Paul seen God do some miraculous stuff? Yes, he'd been delivered from prison before. If he could do this, he would get out. What Paul is saying is that through the strength of God, We can do all the things that God God has called us to do through contentment, right? Our foundation is contentment in Christ, that no matter what happens, we are content knowing that Jesus is not going to abandon us. He's not walking out on us. When times are good, when times are bad, he is faithfully there with us. That's the root, that's the foundation of our contentment, which then empowers us to be able to say with Paul in Philippians 4.13, I can do all this. I can do everything that God has called me to do because of God's strength working within me. That today you have the strength to make it through both good times and bad because of the strength of God working in you. Again, it seems like most people seem to quote this verse like a high schooler about to take a test that they didn't study for right? I can do all things. Please, God. (laughs) I teach high school. uh, I'm a teacher, and so I work with high school students, and man, the prayers of desperation, man, those are real prayers. (laughs) Like, I think those those flow from the depths of a worried soul. Like, come on, God, please come through for me. Uh, But Paul here is reminding us that the strength to do all things is the strength that only flows from God. You've probably heard this quote before, speaking of coffee mug versus coffee cup. This isn't even a verse, but you've probably heard this with like Christianese. It says, God will never give you more than you can handle. Can you imagine quoting that to Paul? Or can you imagine quoting that to Philippian believers as they're being thrown in jail and being killed for their faith in Jesus? Hey, listen, God will never give you more than you can handle. What a bunch of baloney. <laughs> it's not true. No, there will be moments in our lives that we cannot handle. And in those moments, we find that the only thing that will get us through is the strength that God gives to us. Right? We, these, the waves of life, the storms of life, they, they cause us, they push us uh, into dependence on God and the strength that he gives. Right? If you are depending on your own strength, you are toast. You'll buckle. It's too much, man. Death and suffering and man, just getting, watching the news is enough to crush your soul. Right? We, are, we have to be dependent upon the strength that flows from God. Paul is not preaching an American individualistic message of pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps. You can do it. Make something of yourself. He is reminding us that in all circumstances, we can learn the secret of being content, can learn the secret of being content. And that contentment only comes through a deep-rooted relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing and loving Jesus, right? Like we're just saying, Jesus, we, we love you. Like the, the response of our heart towards the goodness of God shown to us through the gospel is not some kind of analytical like, yes, God good, me bad, we, you know this works. It's, it's a response of, of love, right? You are what you love, that's who you are. It's the basis of who you are. Do you, do you love Jesus enough that when everything else gets taken away, when all the stuff that you've, you've depended on and the content, contentment that you've had and when all those things are taken away, is Jesus still enough for you? Love Jesus. So as we wrap this thing up, what does this mean for Monday? What, is it, what does this passage have to do with us and how we live, Right? Uh, what is this here's a, just a few points of application as we land this plane. Uh, verse 11, uh, look back at verse 11 again, just oh, it's on the second part of it. Um, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned, I have learned. Are you using your current circumstances to teach you how to have contentment in God? Look again at the text, Paul says that he has learned the secret of being content and being brought low and abounding in plenty and hunger and abundance and need. We can obviously see how God uses being brought low, trial and suffering as a way that grows our dependence on God, but what about abounding in abundance? How does that teach us contentment? It is when we are experiencing seasons of abounding in abundance that we forget about our dependence on God our contentment becomes in the gifts instead of in the giver. So wherever you are today, if you're in a season of deep suffering and trial, let it teach you to be content. And if you are abounding today, if you are experiencing just a joyous season of life, don't forget where your real contentment is found. Enjoy the gifts. Enjoy the gifts of financial security and health. Enjoy good meals and great vacations. But even let those experiences of abundance remind you of where your true contentment lies. I guess it does seem like, within certain church contexts, that we've lost uh, the ability to abound and have abundance. That have you ever had like one of those circumstances where, you know, you get a really good raise at work, and you show up to church and you kind of want to tell somebody, but you're like, I don't want to be that guy. Guys, shouldn't this be, like, the one place that we could come together and abound and, and rejoice with one another? Like, hey, like, dude, that's great. I, I remember just, like, being terrified of, like, telling people that we were, we were pregnant when we had friends who were struggling to get pregnant, right? That like, it was like, oh, man, I'm not going to talk about that. Man, as a church community, have we lost the ability to abound and rejoice in the goodness of God? That guys, like when we gather together, it is good for us to hear stories of how God is working in abundance. And that we can respond by saying, Yes, that's awesome, man. I'm really happy for you, and actually mean it. <laughs> right? We need to recover an ability to abound uh, and realize that our contentment, even in times that are good, is only found in Jesus, right? That that's why like we can celebrate with one another. Is that, hey man, like even if all of that stuff gets taken away. Everything falls apart. If you have Jesus, you still have everything. (laughs) That's the hope. So Paul, he's not just saying, I've learned how to, I think that he could have left out abound some of these like really positive words and we would have been like, "Yeah. yeah, 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 Paul. Trial, suffering, I get it. But then he, like, I know how to be hungry and I know how to have plenty. Have we lost the ability to rejoice in the abundance of God? Maybe we should think about recovering it. Uh, second point of application here: Philippians 4:13 is for you. <laughs> we do not need to be scared about quoting this verse to ourselves or reminding a friend who is struggling uh, of this verse. It, this, it's after understanding this text today, hopefully a little bit better than you did before. It's not like when your 14-year-old nephew posts on his Instagram story: he's about to play a football game. He says, "I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me." That you're like, "You don't understand the text. You don't get it." That's not the point of this, right? Like, we don't need to, like, constantly condemn people for quoting Scripture. Like, I, the amount of times I've seen this verse quoted by people who are clearly not walking with the Lord is, is pretty frightening. But, man, it's not your place to just condemn people for quoting a verse, right? Like, this verse is for us, though. We don't need to be scared of using it. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We can do this because of Christ working in us. You can make it through because of the strength of Christ. Again, on your own, you're toast. You've got no hope. Your strength is worthless. You can't make it through. But with Christ, you can learn to be content in all circumstances, and he will supply all the strength that you need. He will give you the strength that you need to make it through in good times and in bad times. He will give you the strength to remind yourself in seasons of abundance where your hope lies. My hope is not in my bank account. My hope is not in my house. My hope is not in my financial security. My hope is not in my health, right? I think Ryan said last week sometimes that the, the things that are seen, when we the things that we can see with our eyes, they blind us from thinking about the unseen, right, that our hope lies in something much deeper than our money or our stuff, right, or our families. Because, guys, we all know this, that can't those things be taken away in a heartbeat? It can disappear overnight. I think you think about all these people like in Ukraine who are fleeing from their cities, people who ran successful businesses, people who had great financial security, a great financial outlook, overnight, gone. We have to leave our city. Our house got bombed, right? This, this stuff can get taken away overnight. What is our hope truly in? Is your contentment deeply rooted in Jesus that gives you the strength to be able to say with Paul, I can do all this. I can do what God has called me to do because of the strength of God working in me. And then lastly today, and please, please receive this. Uh, be on guard of this point. Verse being used by the enemy to make you feel like all of this is up to you. Be reminded today that in this journey of faith, in the ups and downs, in being brought low and abounding, you are never alone. The strength that we need to walk this life of faith is supplied for you through Christ in ways that you could not possibly imagine. Right? One of the most shocking moments in Scripture is when Jesus tells the disciples, Hey, it's better that I go. So who might be sent? The Holy Spirit, right? That I'm going away. Can you imagine the disciples in the circumstances hearing Jesus say this? Like, what? Like, where are you going, man? Like, we just started this thing. He's like, hey, it's better that I go that I might send the Spirit to you. As we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit who daily gives us the strength that we need to walk this out. Again, in your own strength, no way. But through the strength of God working in us, we can say with Paul, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Again, maybe not one more bench press or <laughs> one more touchdown, but man, I can make it through today, can make it through this difficult parenting season, I Can make it through this difficult season at my job. I can make it through with a deep-rooted contentment in Jesus, even when I'm abounding and have much. This passage, we can quote this to ourselves. I can do all things through whom strengthens me because of the goodness of Jesus. And every Sunday, we are reminded of this strength given to us by coming to this table together. We are reminded of the great lengths that Christ went to save us and reminded further still that now that we are his, he will never abandon us, right? You guys have thought about that, right? That the, the lengths that Jesus went to save you, right? Even death on a cross, that, that Christ dies for you for a bunch of people who hate him. How much more so will He sustain you? He's not walking out on us. He's not abandoning us. When we take of the bread and we drink of the cup, we are given a physical reminder of the presence of Jesus in our midst. That His presence, the the, the presence of the one who made the cosmos is here with us. That He never walks out on us. Even when we do stupid stuff that we know we shouldn't do. (laughs) Even when we're not content... When we're, when we're struggling with doubt and insecurities, we are never abandoned and we are never alone. That's the secret of contentment that Paul's whole life was built on. But no matter what comes, I can be content. So this morning as we take of this, we're reminded of the strength that flows from God for us. It's a reminder of what he's done for us and how he is still working within us to call us to be more like Jesus. So if you're a follower of Jesus this morning... If you've put your faith in Christ, we invite you to come to the table. Uh, New City, we have uh, people standing on either side. You just walk down the middle and uh, take a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. We have gluten-free, grain-free, I don't know what else, free bread right here in the cup if you would like to do that as well. But may, may this serve as a reminder to you that you are not alone, that the strength to overcome, the strength to do all things flows from the heart of God, and it's actively working in you this morning. And that is a reason for great hope and rejoicing. Amen.